Welcome to We Used to Be the Smart Kids. I'm Eric. I'm Carolyn. On today's episode, my life has been changed forever. You're so dramatic. <laughs> it feels dramatic, okay? <laughs> the other weekend, as my mother was returning my child to me, she informed me that she had listened to every episode of our podcast. This horrified me to my core. I just kind of shut down for a minute, turned shades of red never before seen on this earth. Like, what if she thought that she, <laughs> you just looked normal to her? <laughs> I couldn't even look at her. So you probably looked normal to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming into the inner Eric Sanctum. <laughs> it's a very exclusive club because Carolyn mocked me mercilessly. I had to stop and examine why I was so upset by this, why this had rocked my world. So anyway... Hi, Eric's mom. Hi, mom. (laughs) The thing that came to me when I was trying to work through this and talk through this with you was that I really try to compartmentalize my life. Like a serial killer. That's me, Eric the Psychopath. No, there's work, Eric, where no one sees anything beneath the surface. I'm gray rocking like a motherfucker. I don't need people prying into my life. It was a whole thing when my wife started working with me and they're like, oh my God, he has depth other than turn your computer off and on again. You're not just that guy from the IT crowd. But I'd be more of a Moss or a Roy. So I'm going to go with Moss. I think he's a little more sardonic and less hapless. <laughs> uh, With... Other family members, there's still parts of me that I just keep walled away. This is the one place where I come out and let all of my interests just out in the open. Behind this microphone, in my basement, that's the one place, not your bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) No, like I said, it's a very exclusive club. And this has been a self-preservation technique for so long because... From a young age, I learned that if I open up about my interests, that's how you get made fun of. That's how people just assign you this identity. You're the weirdo who likes dragon books. You have terrible taste in movies. Not trying to think of why I would watch these terrible movies. You were weird, so they labeled you and excluded you. Yes, pretty much. they found out that you were weird. Yes. Hence the gray rock persona. And that extended to my mother because... Because you're weird. That's the weird part to me. Maybe I'm weird, but like, I'm going to gray rock everyone, including my mom. Mom oh. cannot know me. How can you have an intimate relationship with anyone if you're gray rocking all the people? See, I let a few choice people in. You've learned about my weirdness and perversions, and you've stuck around, so. I clawed my way in. Yes, I was pretty like, much. hey, this looks like a challenge. Great. Where's my pickaxe? <laughs> I always assumed my mother would not approve of the things I'm into because, let's be honest, I'm into some less than savory shit. Really, you give yourself far more interesting credit. (laughs) You're (laughs) secretly boring, Eric. God. Well, you give yourself more intrigue. You're into what? Dragons, sex, and 80s movies. Oh, no. I have branched out to 70s Japanese softcore pornography, so... Oh, no. How could he possibly have gotten there? Yeah, fair. Yeah, right? See? You're boring. (laughs) You're a boring man. You were shaped by the decade in which you were born and the internet search rabbit holes that Google guide you down. 
slasher movies and porn. It's a pretty traditional cocktail. <laughs> so mean. Yeah, a little bit. Wow. <laughs> Did you think you were cool? <laughs> Did mean, you think I'd you hoped. were smart? <laughs> I hoped. Anyway, so you grew up in the suburbs and you're expected to be a certain way and I wasn't. Nope. The whole point of suburban horror is that nobody is actually the way that they present themselves, isn't it? The whole point is behind the white picket fence lies madness. And part of the horror is discovering that about people and my mother just discovered it about me. This is hereditary? (laughs) She was the initial compartmentalizer. (laughs) So here's a story. I don't know if I've told it before on the podcast, but as a teenager growing up, I used to every Friday and Saturday night, pretend to fall asleep on the couch down in the basement where the TV was. And then as soon as everyone was in bed, I was up again and watching the USA Up All Night programming, which was a bunch of obscure sex comedies and horror movies and all the trash that I love today just kind of grew out of that. was not aware these existed until I started watching this. And this went on for years of me trying to hide this part of myself from my family, from everyone really, because no one wants to hear about me talking about the Miracle Beach sex genie and how that spoke to me on a certain level. I don't think it's that nobody wanted to hear about it. I think it's that you discovered it in an illicit way and so therefore it felt illicit. Like what if instead of it being up all night programming, it had been in like 1 p.m. programming and people just came in and they just saw you watching whatever you just said, Miracle Sex Beach Genie. And you were like, (laughs) isn't this weird how XYZ and they were like, oh yeah. And then they just made themselves a tuna fish sandwich. Like would it's- Oh, there were no tuna fish sandwiches in my household. How (laughs) dare you? Would you have still felt like this was something that needed to be hidden? I mean, frankly, yes. Discussing sex in my household was pretty much verboten. Because you don't talk about sex with white picket fences. No. (laughs) I just think actually it was a- a sign of the times movie. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about sex. Horror movies were allowed but not understood. I'd like to think I was engaging with these movies on a slightly deeper level than holy shit, there's sex happening. But I was a teenager, let's be honest. That might have come later. Probably both things were happening. You were probably like, oh my God, sex. And then also trying to engage with it because that's what you've been taught to do. And that's kind of who you are as a person yeah unless really you just got older and were like let me just go back and revisit all this stuff (laughs) with my critical (laughs) lens i don't know this was the stuff that interested me this was the only place i could get it at the time yeah this is the same story as like i discovered my dad's porno mags under the mattress it's interesting and i want to hear more but like it it's not special it's special (laughs) to me god damn it it's very 80s coming of age (laughs) This was the 90s. Thank you very much. It's not. It was. The internet was in the 90s. What were you doing? (laughs) AOL was in the 90s, let's be honest. I'm sure there were proto-message boards out there discussing this that I could have tracked down and found, but I was not technically savvy at the time. We were very sleep deprived. Also that. So. No, the highlight of my week was the Sunday uh, TV guide coming in the newspaper so I could see what was playing next weekend and try and plan my evenings. I'm just picturing like the level of titillation that you gave yourself by doing this. I feel <laughs> like it was probably a lot more fun. Yeah. Like your life was more fun. It it was like, um, I don't know how to say it. It, g- it gave, your, gave your life a little extra zing. But it was an extremely solitary pursuit. I mean, until you find a partner, sex is usually an extremely solitary <laughs> pursuit. 
Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> no, it was an extremely solitary pursuit. I did not get to share any of this until about... Till you were married? No, till about 20 years later. Like, when I started showing my friends these terrible movies that I discovered years and years ago on late-night television, finding the cream of the crop and actually showing it to people and bringing myself out of the closet about this shit that I enjoyed. Was it me? Was I the friend? No. Ah. I mean, I got more brave with the stuff I could show you, but I don't know. Being able to talk about this with authority was really cool to me. And again, this is something I still kept hidden from my mother because I didn't think she'd approve. I didn't think she'd want to see the version of her child in her head who had this encyclopedic knowledge of 80s erotic thrillers or something like that. I just, I still want to give you a hard time. Yeah. Because you went from discovering something in the dark illicitly. So very teenage boy with sex, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got off on being able to speak with authority about it. So now you're like the authority figure, which still just is very, I don't know, white male to me. I can't quite put my finger (laughs) on it. But like, you were the expert in the room. Everybody listen. Gather around my little peons. Yeah, I can see that. That's still entirely average yeah yeah this is my personal journey and you're just destroying it (laughs) you thought you had an exciting personal journey and i'm like that's a little bit stereotypical i'm gonna need a better plot here (laughs) just think you could have been playing sports this whole time i mean i was oh fine i had soccer every saturday after i had this night-long binge on terrible movies and did your soccer buddies know about your terrible movies? God, no. No. Oh. You know what this is like? What's now that? we're going to fully derail. Yeah. This is like when you discover fan fiction. <laughs> You're like, oh, sex. And then you stay up all night on your phone. I mean, I'm obviously not talking about myself. And you don't share it with anybody <laughs> <laughs> until you meet a friend later in life. And you're like, can we talk about this? And your friend's like, yes. Not only can we talk about it, we can analyze it. I feel like that's a really good parallel to draw because I was getting out of these teenage sex comedies what I couldn't find elsewhere, what other girls were getting out of fan fiction, these personal stories that spoke to me. Eroticism. No, it wasn't just eroticism. (laughs) The reason I like these movies is, yes, there are crude humor, sex, boobs everywhere, whatever. But underneath, there's usually these fairly sweet love stories where the guy has to realize it's not all about sex. It's about finding the person you care about. All right, I have a real question. Shoot. Which would have been less shameful if you discovered them and there was no eroticism, so you just have the sweet love story, or if you discovered them and there was no sweet love story, so you just have the eroticism? Which version would have been less shameful and would have encouraged you to talk to somebody else about it and like share it? Uh, Probably the first one. So you were ashamed of the eroticism. Absolutely. Yes. Well, I don't know, because guys are all about sex. No, (laughs) I mean, yes, I'm not going to lie. The sex was a big draw of it. But I don't know. The sex is the shameful part, I guess. The sex is why it's shown late at night instead of at 1 p.m. where people can walk in and listen to me opine about the sex genie in Miracle Beach. Can, can you imagine at 1 p.m. you want a tuna fish sandwich? Booby! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. My dad walked in on us watching Revenge of the Nerds once at the exact worst time, and that was... And he just sat down with you. No. He looked at us, looked at the TV, was like, what the fuck, and carried on with his day. 
He didn't talk to you about it? Or no. No points to dad. <laughs> oh, but that was when I could actually go to the movie store and rent the movies myself. That's why it was on in the daytime rather than at two in the morning with my little brothers in the room. And oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> why did you owe Jesus Christ that? Because I had my little brothers in the room with tits and ass and bush on the screen. And yeah. As an owner of a woman's body, it's low-key. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's low-key bothering me that when you were like, oh, I had my little brothers in the room and there were women on the screen. There were extremely sexist depictions of women on the screen. You were not ashamed of the sexist depictions. A little bit. Yeah, I was. No, no, I'm not buying that. No? No, you can't sell that to me with mustard and a corn dog. That's ridiculous. <laughs> there is no chance you were ashamed of the sexism. You were ashamed of the sex. We're going to have to agree to disagree here. I knew what was happening on the screen was wrong, but I also had teenage hormones coursing through my body, so... How did you know it was wrong? Like, what part of it was wrong? Uh, let's see. The rape by deception, the cameras in the girls' bathrooms. Oh, never mind. There was really shady shit in here. I didn't know that. I thought you were just like, objectification is bad. And I was like, there's no way. No. There's no way. No. Have you never seen Revenge of the Nerds? <laughs> no. <laughs> I've, I've heard bad things about it, and I've thought, eh. Don't need that in my life. You were correct, but it was a guaranteed way to see boobs at the time. The phrase guaranteed way to see boobs is going to live in my head forever. There's something about it that's quite off-putting. Yeah. Guaranteed way to see boobs. There should be a boob drive through <laughs> I mean, go to Seattle with the bikini coffee stands. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, God, yeah. They had to outlaw them because you tip them to see their boobs. Why did you? I didn't. No, no, no. Why? Why were they outlawed? Uh, because it smacked a little too much of sex work and Seattle was like, oh God, we have an image to uphold as the trendy hipsters. Anyway, that's how you got a boob drive through I want to start one. Well, I mean, you make pretty decent coffee. You could probably pull it off. That's my million dollar idea. <laughs> boob coffee stand. Cup of Joe, bag of tits. Bag? An entire bag? <laughs> Cup of Joe, A cup? A cup of Joe? Double D coffee? <laughs> Double D coffee. <laughs> That's the sizing that you have. <laughs> An A cup is like a little shot and all the way up to... Yeah, give me a J cup. That's the big gulp from 7-Eleven filled with coffee. Give me, give me the jug. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, for a while there in the 90s, my favorite movie was... Feel free to give me as much shit as you want for this, but Zapped Again. Not even Zapped, the original with Scott Bayo, but Zapped Again, where a kid gets psychic powers by drinking prune juice and uses it to lift up girls' skirts. <laughs> I was actually totally on board right up until the lifting up girls' skirts, and then I was like, man, I don't know. Guaranteed way to see boobs. Yes. I mean, there's no other way to see boobs, like, you know, getting in a relationship and being kind to girls. You got to use psychic powers to... Even the way you said that, though, very off-putting. No other way to see boobs besides leading a girl on in order to see her boobs? <sighs> I'm just pointing it out. I don't think you're like this. Oh, hi, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> and going back, the love story isn't that sweet. You were just starved for romance as a boy. I was. All. Really, what we're getting at is Skinamax... Was Eric's romance porn? No, Skinamax was terrible. God. Okay. Skinamax did you not just... have that love story underneath. Skinamax just had excuses for boobs. Excuses for boobs. Also, another stand I'm going to open. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Give me your best excuses and I'll show you my tatas. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party would make bank. They have so many. <laughs> Jokes on them. My boobs are awesome, but also a little disappointing. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is where I got my romance and honestly, a lot of my worldview that it shouldn't be all about sex. Sex is great. Sex is amazing. But you need to have a genuine connection with someone to be happy in the end. I'm just going to jump in here. Go. I don't think you got your worldview from USA Up All Night. Mm. No, I don't think you did. I okay. don't. Okay. Because I think you already wanted romance. Mm-hmm. Points Derek's mom. <laughs> I'm buying my way back in. Because if you didn't already want romance, there were so many ways that you could have just gotten sex any way that you wanted. How did USA Up All Night, so specifically sex comedies, teach you that romance was an integral part of sex as opposed to teaching you that sex was, I don't know, guaranteed and romance was icing? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think you got that out of it because you wanted it already. Okay, then let me see my philosophy writ large and let me experience that. And I was not getting that elsewhere. Is that fitting a little better into your view of me? Kind of, I guess. So I'm picturing a teenager who's really yearning for some kind of emotional connection and also sex. Yes. Finding these films that sort of tap on that part of him and then diving deeper into them. I don't know. But why compartmentalize it still? Because that sex portion of it, that meant a lot to me. That's not the right wording, but it spoke to the condition of my soul, was not acceptable in my household. All right. So it was, you just felt a lot of deep shame. So you were, your buy-in was, this is where I'm getting my emotional romance needs fulfilled, like through this fiction. Yes. And I can't share it with anyone because I am also enjoying the sex part and that's shameful. Yes, correct. Okay. It's not very deep again, but you know, I like it. (laughs) I'm not against it. I'm trying to make shallow deep here, okay? (laughs) So going all the way back, we had talked about how you compartmentalize various nerd bits, right? Because Mm -hmm. you like dragons and you like 80s sex comedies and all of that stuff. How does that personal shame around your own nerd interests interact with the fact that you judge, and me, Mm -hmm. we're talking about you, You judge nerds really harshly. My God. Yeah. There's a nerd store in town and the disdain on this man's face when we walk past this (laughs) poor nerd store, which like did nothing to him. It just exists. How how, how do you, what are these two things doing? The self-hatred that you have then directed outward. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I'm a self-hating nerd because I've seen where it goes when people just live out that life and make that their entire personality. It goes to people I don't want to hang out with. I don't know. It's just something about that, I don't want to say lifestyle, but that way of making if everything relate back to your hobby. You're calling me boring right now, but that is just so boring. I can talk with them for about five minutes about the latest whatever dragon novel, and then there's nothing there. There's nothing left. There's no critical edge. There's no critical edge. There's no... It's too shallow, not enough depth. (laughs) There's no critical edge. There's a hive mind there that I can't get with. There's a reason the King Killer Chronicles are so beloved, and I feel like it's because there's not that critical depth there. 
I'm just going to throw out that we focused this on your mother, and it could have been focused on hating the King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. Like, oh, we just gave that moment up. <laughs> Pretty sure the King Killer Chronicles, that's the one with the sex elf, right? Yes. It is just USA Up All Night masquerading as fantasy fiction. Correct. He's the best at sex, and he broke the sex elf. Anyway, and it's that nerd hive mind that that's part of, just to do a throwback here, that's part of why I went to PhilCon to look for other people critically examining these themes, and they are few and far between. Okay, I'll throw you a bone. This is the bone. Let me see if I can say it properly. Bone me, go. Because you viewed it as shameful and illicit, and you had that double life thing going on, I Mm -hmm. think that you contextualized it in the greater world, so when... You went to PhilCon, instead of having that, oh my god, I found my tribe moment, Mm -hmm. you had that like, oh, you all like this too, but you don't feel that bit of shame. So where is the shame coming from? Why is it there? And should it be there? And I think that it allowed you to look at nerd culture a little bit more, maybe? That's your bone. That's that's your bone. Thank you. (laughs) I hope you liked it. No, on it. (laughs) It might have been PhilCon that started that, but I feel like I've always been on the outside of nerd culture looking in, and... Yeah, that's all I got. It's always compartmentalization. Even when I'm around the nerds, I don't get to show my full self. That's not something that's going to be welcome there. Because you want to talk about what the dragon represents, not how cool a class five dragon with blue scales is. Exactly. Let me tell you about my Dungeons and Dragons character. It's the difference of living in the world as a fantasy or a daydream, which is valid, versus examining the world as a critique maybe or as like Mm -hmm. representative of our world it's the entire reason we started this stupid podcast exactly because no one else wants to just be like yes but what does gilmore girl say about society though (laughs) why do we view lorelei gilmore as the hero of this story when she's clearly the villain of the piece (laughs) to bring it back i feel ashamed because my mother now knows about my porn habits That's basically what this boils down to. Our second episode is this porn is misogynistic. And (laughs) my mother has now listened to me opine on the cinematography (laughs) of 70s softcore Japanese pornography. And that just makes me die a little inside. That's what we've learned today. Hi, Eric's mom. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if she really is like, I knew all of this. That's what I hope for you at your next brunch, Eric. Really? I knew all about sorority house party. You really thought the sleeping on the couch was convincing? I was just tired and went to bed. No one was fooled, (laughs) my man. Anyway, that's what I learned from my mother finding out about my podcast. It made me do a lot of self-examination and Carolyn give me a lot of shit. Okay, but are you going to continue to compartmentalize moving forward? Uh, probably, yes. Of course you are. Because this stuff I still don't want to talk about with my mother. I feel like there's a difference between this is not an interesting conversation to have with my mother and I'm going to hide this from my mother. True. So yeah, I guess she's going to know a little more about me than I had previously put out there. That is your own damn fault for making a literally public podcast. Yes. Well, it's your fault for having my mom as a friend on Facebook. (laughs) I'm not really (laughs) sure when that happened. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh, well. Welcome to the party. (laughs) This is Ben. We used to be the smart kids. I'm Carolyn. I'm Eric. Hi, Mom.
Thanks for listening. Our intro music is from Tim Beak. You can find him at timbeak.com. And our outro music is by One Man Symphony. And you can find them at onemansymphony.com.